Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. On today's show, our 200th episode. That's right, we're awesome. Yay. (laughs) Such enthusiasm. We do have an old favorite that we're going to be reviving as the theme of today's show. But before we get into that, I we should take some time here to acknowledge that it is fundraiser season for Wayo, the station that has given us a time slot for God only knows what reason these past six years. Six? Yeah. Our show is in first grade now. Yeah. Not really learning much, but, you know... <laughs> But by the time we get out of elementary school, we'll probably have caught up. Listen, we can't really thank Wayo enough for making all of this possible. You probably aren't hearing the things we're saying if there wasn't a radio station out there to broadcast it to, frankly, to keep us honest about recording an episode roughly once every couple of weeks these days. And Wayo, as a volunteer-run organization, needs help from its listeners, needs help from the community in order to keep running. Specifically, stations looking to raise $15,000 for the year ahead. That helps support the 90 different locally produced shows uh, like ours that air each week. Hundred, More than 150 unpaid volunteers help make this happen. And these donations grease the wheels that keep it moving forward. So if you can, please go to donate.wayofm.org and you can contribute. And for your contribution, you can get rewards like uh, stickers, there's merchandise. And if you become a way, a, a member of Wayo for as little as $5 a month or a $100 one-time donation. You can get free admission to Wayo events. That's live shows, live performances, discounts at local stores, uh, including 10% off purchases at Bob Shop Records, 10% off purchases at Carbon Records, 10% off at Pizza Wizard, a variety of benefits for the prospective Wayo members. Again, it's a worthy cause. Wayo yep. really knows what millennials wants. Yeah. <laughs> that that's a joke for the real punching out heads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's fitting that that's the joke you make, I think, because it's um today's show we're going to be digging back into Noah's famous stockpile of HR emails. Um Human Resentments is back, folks. And um, Noah, I I think for a while you had stopped receiving these emails that you had been inexplicably getting. And so we hadn't had a new episode like this in probably a couple of years now at this point, at least. But you have once again gotten back on their email list. And boy, do they have new content to show us. Oh, yeah. And and way worse names than they used to. Back in the day, they they tended to have it, they were either personal names, the the names of the people sort of running the show, or they were called things like you know, Human Resources Learning Institute or whatever. Now the word compliance shows up in a frightening number of their titles. Uh, not that I don't respect the honesty behind that. Um, I mean, I don't, but. Also, I feel the need to mention that it is a kind of honesty. We love complying. Yeah, uh, that that's something. Big, big compliance fans, obviously, on Punching Out. At least with collective bargaining agreements, but that's neither here nor there. The 
weirdest part of it was, yeah, it, it just went completely silent for two, three years, during which what I suspect happened is the same thing that every other industry has suffered came to the human resources seminar industry, i.e. a bunch of people got laid off and firms started uh, consolidating. And so as a result, now that a few of them are kind of under the same roof, because it's the same percenters, it, it's some of the same people, uh, just what I imagine to be the titans of the, the human resources consultant world are, are back on top. They, they've united their, their human resources Avengers, I guess, and and they're coming Human together. Human Resources Super League, you could say. Yes. <laughs> I, I wonder, maybe you have a theory on this as well. Do you think the pandemic and a lot more remote work happening meant less need for HR to some degree? Just in that there wasn't a lot of interpersonal interaction or less of that going on. You know, offices looked a lot different in the remote days of the pandemic? I I do think that is true. However, I will also point out that they went cold, I think about a year before the pandemic. So I, I do think there is something to that that probably extended the, the cold streak uh, and, and gave them a reason to kind of wait and, and see what would happen. But yes, I do think that that is accurate, that that certainly caused some shockwaves in the in the HR profession. I mean, we've talked about, you know, fake jobs, non-existent jobs, jobs that are essentially being created so that people don't get poached by other companies. And we've talked about how recruiters will sometimes be hired and then just left hanging with nothing to do. And recruiters are kind of a subset of HR professional. So I could 100% see HR people just kind of figuring out where do we sit in, in this new environment and, and having to, in some ways, relearn their jobs because, you know, it's a lot harder, as you rightfully point out, to police workers when they're at home. It's almost like there's a big reason why they were being sent back to the office and it had nothing to do with productivity or morale or any of that good stuff. It was entirely about putting them back under the watchful eye of the boss and the HR person who is you know, the boss's faithful hound. That and lining the pockets of big office birthday cake. <laughs> that infamous uh, uh, specter that haunts us all, big office birthday cake. There are many specters that, that are haunting the HR landscape in the post-pandemic era. It's the spooky era. time of the year, isn't it? <laughs> if this is your first time with human resentments, one of the, the reasons we do this is that these emails offer a lens into the mindset of the people who work in HR and the ways they talk about workers when workers aren't listening, I, I, I think is really what gets at here. It's very different language than the language you hear from them when you can listen. One of the things exposed in this batch of emails that you've sent us, Noah, is almost a persecution complex and the idea that as HR professionals, you are one slip away from being crushed under the iron fist of federal regulation and the, you know, simply tyrannical regime that governs American labor law, which just doesn't allow for any sort of noncompliance, if you will. Yeah, this is this is a theme going all the way back to, I think, the first episode of Human Resentments we ever did. But most infamously, there was that email in which they claimed that the people really in danger from ICE were not, you know, the immigrants and families that ICE treats, being the American Gestapo that it is, as criminals and, and you know, for, separates them and abuses them and all of this. No, the real victims of ICE are employers, which it always took care to capitalize because they're they're a whole different class. It's like a Margaret Atwood novel in here. So you've got this very skewed view of the world where the human resources person is just following orders from their boss. And if you tell them that they are doing the wrong thing, then that is you are the dictatorship here. You are you are pressuring them to do 
the wrong thing. It, it's very strange because HR people have to marry the, the language in these emails, sort of marries the libertarian, the sort of why is the government always crawling up my butt to, to tell me I'm doing things wrong? Why are they trying to get me on the technicality and so on? With obviously the way that they treat workers is the complete opposite. So also libertarian because all of those people are hypocrites. But it's very funny to watch how they react when they think the shoe is on the other foot, so to speak. One specific area of enforcement here that is highlighted in these emails is um, the idea that uh, companies are at risk of accidentally misclassifying their employees and thereby voiding at will status and when an employee is no longer at will, that means they are much trickier to fire, and this can pose headaches for the HR professional in your life. From this email, did you know that an improperly drafted job description can negate employment at will status and create other legal problems? This engaging and interactive webinar will provide the essentials to help you avoid legal trouble when drafting job descriptions. Which, wonderful. That's, I'm glad they're able to do that. That's, that's what we, we want. Should we explain what at-will employment is here? No, I, do you have a succinct description in mind? or? Yeah, it means you can be fired anytime you want without uh, anytime your employer wants without cause. Boom, that's but what it is. Noah, remember, it also means that you can leave whenever you want to. It, yeah, I mean, I guess it does, and this is why it's very funny to watch uh, employers and HR people get very mad when you refuse to give two weeks' notice and things like that, because at will employment is supposed to cut both ways, but we know that it doesn't. We know that it unfairly favors the employer and yeah it's i'm gonna be honest the biggest surprise i have here is that it is possible to negate that status in any circumstance that is actually outside of your state having one of the implied contract exceptions which like most of the states that you would expect have it and then montana for some reason you know very very strange but that is that is the only way I know of to not have at-will employment under the current legal regime in the United States. It's changes to state law. So the fact that you can do it by messing up a job description is, is I'm starting to get an idea for, yeah, I'll, I'll share that later. I think. Yeah. The, um, apparently job descriptions much more legally significant than I had ever considered because there's a, multiple bullet points in this email about how uh, job descriptions can impact those seeking employment under the Americans with Disabilities Act and mm-hmm. how you can run afoul of the law with uh, an inadvertent description. Now, this bit I did know about because there have been several administrative jobs at my workplace that include Wait, the... Assembly- Noah, where do you work? you know, at a place of business like everyone else. (laughs) Okay, just checking. Works at the economy. That's right. (laughs) Anyway, several administrative jobs at my workplace that are definitively like sit behind the desk and answer emails jobs have all been advertised with may occasionally be required to lift 30 pounds or something along those lines, which is HR speak for we don't want to hire somebody that needs a wheelchair. Like it, it's basically a way to get around the ADA without committing an actual violation. Even though, again, there is literally nothing. It, these people are never required to do it. You know how I know? Because I'm the one lifting the 30 pounds while those administrators are taking meetings. Now, would those 30 pound lifts be like textbooks, perhaps? Who can say? Uh, in my case, they tend to be auction items. For yeah, fundraising. Because you work at the economy. Exactly at the free market, which is just one big auction <laughs> house. He is the invisible hand. <laughs> That's why he's doing so much lifting. Exactly. <laughs> big mystery there. Yeah, like exactly as Noah said, that whole if you pay attention, if you read a lot of job descriptions, 
and you know how they couch things like you can very easily see when they're trying to get around ADA requirements, which is gross. I say that word a lot, but it is pretty gross that like that there are seminars and webinars and whatever, uh, basically telling you how to discriminate legally. 60 minute live HR webinars. Love that phrase. You got to deal with a lot of different kinds of discrimination that you want to enact without getting in trouble. So, you know, it's got to be comprehensive. You got to deal with ADA discrimination. You got to deal, according to this, Equal Pay Act litigation. So I'm guessing you have to deal with gender discrimination as well. There's there's a lot to get through. Okay. These are busy people. Well, I mean, I can absolutely say that if you have somebody like working at the same job title, the same job description, but you're paying one 30% more than the other. Yeah, that's, that's going to get you sued real fast if they find out. And if there is, as these HR emails are implying, somebody actually going from company to company to try to like catch you in an illegal act so they can sue you, which one doesn't happen because the power rests entirely with the employer and two, probably should happen more because they are clearly trying to get away with stuff. Yeah. I I think it's, it's very funny that HR people seem to think that OSHA and uh, the the department of labor have like a team of untouchables, presumably also led by Ken Costner, just like walking around and like raiding their offices individually looking for violations and job descriptions. And it's like, uh, there should be, that is what should happen. I wish we lived in that world. Then maybe you would act like human beings, which is in the title of your job. We mentioned earlier that it is the spooky season and something that shows through in these emails is that these people are spooked. They are being driven mad by the ghost of a non-existent powerful OSHA. Yeah, it's that famous Lovecraft story, the labor inspectors and the walls. <laughs> I trust that that's a very good joke, but I do not know enough about Lovecraft. I'm normal. <laughs> First normal podcaster in human history. Yep. You're on the radio, friends. In addition to the um, job description follies that can befall you, There's also trouble that comes from calculating overtime in 2023. Again, quoting from one of these emails, common folklore says that you simply count the hours the employee works beyond 40 hours a week. Then you multiply that by 1.5 times their hourly pay and you're done, right? Not so fast. The truth is that overtime rules and the mathematics required to arrive at the correct calculation can be extremely tricky. Hold on common folklore like your great grandmother taught you how to calculate overtime <laughs> like it's an old family recipe uh, it's a story being told around the campfire with a yeah. flashlight under one's chin under- <laughs> when you go to hr camp <laughs> this one time in human resources camp yeah and the workers work 60 hours and you had to pay them for 70. This one time at HR camp, I fit a whole regulation in my, anyway. No. No. You can go to donate.wayofm.org to help <laughs> ensure that shows like ours stay on the for years to come. Yeah, this one. Now, they say that calculating overtime is much more complicated than, you know, the basic counting over 40, but they don't explain how. Well, that's well, yeah. why you have to go to a seminar. Yeah, you got, you got to pay them to for them to tell you how you can scrooge away your workers' money. It was strongly implied, though, that, that bonuses can reduce your amount of overtime that you're eligible for. So that's scummy. Yeah, I I love that it begins with, what's the definition of overtime under the FLSA? Not what most people think, which is already a problem. Because if it's not what most people think, then it's guaranteed to favor the employer. The only, how much do you want to bet the only people in the United States who get paid fair overtime, like actual overtime, are cops? 
Yes. Yeah, they're always talking about overtime. Mm-hmm. You've got, uh, what is it, tracking hours worked and the use of rounding practices. Yeah, that's not suspicious in the least. Yep. The eight narrowly construed exceptions to the inclusion of payments in the regular rate. Don't like that. Why you must include a bonus in calculating your employee's overtime pay? Probably because the bonus reduces the overtime pay. And then I particularly love, this is when it gets weird to me, when and how to use the fluctuating work week. Those are some very sinister quotation marks there. Because that is definitely some form of, that, that's got to be some mechanism for wage theft. Absolutely. Which, by the way, remains the most common form of theft in the United States. You're not going to see 100,000 articles written about it by credulous reporters from every major news outlet in the country because, I don't know, Walgreens is never going to close stores due to wage theft. In fact, it's the only thing keeping their stores open, probably. There's also this last bullet point of when the, quote, alternate method of calculating overtime can be used. Hate that. One wonders what that could possibly be. Um, There was a post online I saw within the last few weeks about the gist being, if you're trying to find a more nuanced view of ethics, it's almost not, but never because you're trying to be more ethical. Mm -hmm. And here, I think if you're trying to um, find a more complex comp, calculation for overtime pay it's not because you're trying to pay workers more i think i've said this before on a human resentments episode but of all places where i kind of learned how to construe this is tabletop role-playing games because there's a general rule that anything you do that is more predictable helps the players because they have access to less information than you do as the narrator or constructor of the adventure Anything that makes things more random generally helps enemies or whatever you throw at them because they will, because you have more chances to sort of throw that at them and it makes things less predictable so the players can't strategize. And this is the same thing that we're faced with in labor law constantly that labor law is only predictable when that is a benefit to corporations. Everywhere else, it's this whole mess of regulations that allows HR people to paint themselves as the poor beleaguered masses who simply have to navigate this massive labor code that only they understand, like, you know, courtly scribes in Egypt or something like that. They are Indiana Jones cutting through the jungle of um, bureaucracy and uh, regulation. And also secretly just as problematic. Mm Mm-hmm. And presumably about to get crushed by the boulder that is the United States code if they, you know, put one foot wrong. There are so many booby traps in labor law. I'm actually kind of loving the idea that human resources, people view employees as snakes because I think that's a pretty correct statement. Where else is the boogeyman of federal regulation uh, showing up for these people? What, you know, what else are they spooked by here? I think one of the uh, one of the big ones here, and and this is a big one. I think for you know we live in a world where I think people still don't understand one of the one of the social groups that people still have a tough time dealing with is people who've had contact with the criminal justice system. You know, be it just you've you've been arrested for something, you've been convicted for something, you've been in prison. You know, we incarcerate people far more than any other developed country. We treat them worse while they're in prison. We treat them worse for sure after they get out of prison. We take away the right to vote in many states. Uh, We we deny them work and whatever. And now that there's finally been some movement, some pushback on that, uh, now we're getting an HR email like, the do's and don'ts of conducting employee criminal background checks, staying compliant with regulations. Employers who use criminal records in their hiring decisions need to be aware of applicable federal and state laws. Additionally, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, FCRA, a law that I believe is approximately as old as I am, governs how employers obtain and handle consumer reports, which includes standard background checks. Legal compliance with these laws is key when considering, and I love this because this is how you know that a lot of liberal or, or a lot of like um, corporate speak is about trying to sound less, you know, discriminatory. 
formerly incarcerated applicants for hire. And you just know that this used to say felons. Many employers... Oh, capital E on employers. We're back, baby! Let's go! Are considering reducing or eliminating the criminal background check due to labor shortages. So just do it! Just eliminate it. It's fine. But then we have the... Learn how, uh, learn how criminal background checks are a critical part of onboarding and avoiding negligent hiring. Learn what the negative implications are of using social media as a screening process. Do, do we want to talk about that right there? No, well, remember that like slew probably five or six years ago of people, and maybe it was even before then. I know it was out when we, you know, I was in college of like, be careful what you put on social media because an employer could see you having a party and uh, deny you a job based on your behavior there. Mm-hmm. And somebody, I feel like we covered it on the show at one point. Uh, somebody in HR pointed out, like, if you kind, if you do that kind of thing, if you go on somebody's social media uh, and then use that as your reasoning for firing the job, like, what if that person in their social media, you know, it turned out that they were openly gay? or or any other kind of protected class like you could because you went through there it went to somebody's social media and used that as the basis for denying them a job you could be sued for that um which is why these hr people are all spooked by like oh well we can't actually we we might be opening ourselves up to liability because there might be that one person who can have the legal clout to go through and sue us for not getting a job which would be hard to do anyway but they don't you know, that'd be hard to prove, but it still scares the crap out of them. Which is why they're all so happy that instead they can just fire you for being publicly pro-Palestinian. Good point. But there, there are some other good ones here. There's learn why regulations are protecting formerly incarcerated individuals in the workplace. I wonder what the reason might be. I wonder if there's something about the climate in this country, culturally speaking, that might, might cause regulations to need to be in place so that those those individuals can be you know protected learn what the requirements are when you rescind an offer of employment after learning about the results of a criminal background check the requirement i i i'm gonna get us in trouble if i say something here but i think my favorite here is there's a bullet point that says learn what the impact is when employers (laughs) an employer what noah it's it's like that joke about there are two kinds of people in the world those who need closure yep (laughs) i'm so glad that this entire slew of hr emails about how important it is to be extra careful and thorough with your proofreading of documents to not open yourself up to liability um does that the undertone I catch from this email is that last sentence before the bullet points start where uh, many employees are considering reducing or eliminating the criminal background check due to labor shortages, which really speaks to the environment we currently have where unemployment is like 3%. And these, like all of the tricks that we're seeing in these emails would have been so much more successful and powerful seven years ago, 10 years ago when the recession was still lingering on. And like, you know, that's the era when you saw people with college degrees being hired for jobs that in no way required them because, you know, they were available. They were unemployed at the time. And obviously you were going to take them over someone who didn't have a degree. And so it is something that like due to these quote unquote labor shortages, you're seeing companies have to like be a little more accepting in who they hire, which yep, pretty good. Until they told, get Jed probably. Powell to restructure the economy on their behalf again. I think that about does it for this segment. When we come back, we've got more of these emails. We've got, um, much more to discuss. Here at Whale, we make sure the sun rises every morning. Right, well, what about my winning lottery ticket? That's right, we did that too. Really? 
and my promotion at work? Um, you're welcome. Uh... Need more good things in life? Donate to Wayo at donate.wayofm.org. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Still hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. On today, our 200th episode, we've been discussing a fresh batch of HR emails that have been uh, compiled and received by Noah. I do want to take this moment again to remind our listeners that uh, Wayo, the station that has so kindly hosted us for six years, which has been on the air now in Rochester for eight years, is looking to raise funds again so that we can do this again a ninth year. And you can go to donate.wayofm.org in order to help the station do everything that it does, not just our show, but the dozens on the air like it uh, from music to comedy to talk to any sort of thing you could think of Wayo probably has it um, it's been really cool to be a part of and you know if you like what we do I hope that you'll take up some time to consider contributing to what we do and to what Wayo as a whole does our next batch of emails here we're going to look a little at what did we agree the theme for this segment was what was the uh through line here we're we're officially titling this one uh human resources people hold up all the sky okay yes because the yes. the theme of these is that basically if it weren't for the hr person in each office everything would grind to a halt nothing would ever get done right and we would all suffer in workplace hell. So thank God that HR people are around to make workplaces and work wonderful places that we all like going to and have always loved. We have always loved them. I, I think one of the emails that really stood out to you in this regard was one that talks about, um, quote, workplace bullies and abrasive leaders, which... Um, just stellar category to start with. Indeed. I, I love that. It's then why they act that way and how to make them stop, which I think is also the subtitle of at least one parenting manual. Yes, yes. That's immediately what came to mind for me as well. There's a bit of infantilization here of management and workplace bullies that you know, really, HR, if you think about it, are all of our parents. Mm -hmm. That's great. We went full anarchist on this one. Yeah, I don't really recommend going into the office and finding your HR person and going, hey, mom or dad. This is an oddly specific thing to bring up. Did you do this by mistake at some point? <laughs> I would be pretty special considering I work from home now. That would be yeah, exactly. <laughs> the email. Oh my god! What, what you should do instead is go into the office and find the toughest guy there and punch him in the face. Establish dominance. That's right. Yeah. So the fact is that workplace bullying is real and it occurs more than you think. In a survey, 74% of successful executives said that they had an intolerable boss. Here's what I want to know. How many of the people working under those executives would say the same thing right that minute? That's what would be the important statistic right there. Hold hurt up, people hold hurt people. That's right. Yes. Yes. But this new sentence. Odds are someone in your organization qualifies as an abrasive leader or a workplace meanie. Hate them. While these people are by no means evil or psychopaths, I have my doubts, but okay, they can really hurt your organization. Aha, we have reached the important part. It's not about the fact that they're bullies. It's not about the fact that they hurt other people. It's not about the fact that they're abusive or abrasive. It's about maintaining the health of the organization. They can increase turnover, affect productivity, increase liability, and ultimately hinder employee engagement. In this webinar, I will be giving you tools to identify abrasive leaders and ultimately help them stop acting the way they do. This method has been proven time and time again, and I have used it personally with my clients. 
Trust me, it works. And it it's pretty amazing to hear HR people whose job is ultimately, you know, at its most basic and most reactive, I guess you would say, is to take in complaints about how other employees behave and then use those to make the organization function better. If you're not getting complaints about an abrasive leader or workplace bully, it's probably because the people working there don't trust you to do anything about it. Why? Because the person they want to complain about is probably the person to whom you report. Yeah, that is the central problem with HR is they serve the company. They serve the boss. They aren't there for the workers as much as their stated purpose may be to say that they are there to help workers out. But ultimately, their job relies on helping out the people above them, not the people below them. Yeah, like it's also really frustrating because what they're describing is a situation in which people in leadership positions are bad leaders, period. Like they're, they're abrasive, which is the word they use like 800 million times to, instead of just to say, you know, crappy or other more descriptive words that I can't use on the radio. Uh, they, they keep saying that, but like what, who, who put them in those positions in the first place? Like, it seems like a more, pervasive problem in general that you have leaders who treat other people poorly in positions of power enough for it to be a pervasive problem like that's a cultural issue that's more than i think an hr seminar is going to fix if that's the people you have in charge like some self-reflection there might be in order but hopefully this seminar does cover the survival dynamic, which capital I'm sure S, is something P. very real and very good. <laughs> and very real, not made up, totally it's, normal. It's real and strong and my friend. I, I particularly love, again, the sort of like blindfolded naivete of this seminar. Like use a very specific tactic to overcome the justification and denial of toxic behavior when it's addressed with the abrasive leader and understand the coaching method proven to help abrasive leaders change to ensure a better work environment. And basically what you're doing here is we've learned that through many, many different organizations, we've learned that sweeping under the rug doesn't really work anymore. There's too much information out there, you know, not not to immediately go super big, but the, the divine witness protection program the Catholic Church had going for decades there doesn't really work anymore when people can link up and share stories and kind of know who's out there. Uh, so now you have to pretend that you care and that you're not just going to shunt this this person off somewhere else or, or move them out to another division or whatever. Now you have to actually pretend to do something about it. So now it's all coaching and improving and addressing. But really all you're doing, like that that abrasive person, that abusive person is staying, the implication of all of this is, is going to stay within the organization. There is nothing in here about restitution to the people that they have harmed. There is nothing in here about making amends or about not just not being that way anymore, but providing an example of positive change. It's just helping them ensure a better work environment, which could be anything from they just, you know, stop saying certain things. And there's no attempt here to actually, there's no attempt to disguise that what we're looking for here is a modus vivendi. We're trying to look for a way that everybody just stops complaining to HR. That's all. Here, the HR department is frankly just saying, I can fix him. It's not the idea that we should get rid of the problematic people in power, but rather that "Mm, if we just do this one neat trick, we can make them good. We can make them good people and they can deserve the power that they have and aren't going to let go of. Yeah. What you've also described is like 20 million rom-com novel or chiclet novels how to get the cranky boss to actually feel like a human, really. 
I think this is very classic HR, and it is presented by somebody that we've we've put on human resentments before. This is a person who is, I think, gives the game away. They know that they are engaging in this. They know that they are willfully protecting management from the f- consequences of their own behavior. And they understand that that is what HR is there to do. So th- this person is self-aware enough to know that. Uh, but it, it's still pretty disgusting. It, it, it's a it's a very squeaky wheel issue where you only see them treat workers as people when they are in need of correction. For everything else, they are this great collective that is seeking, you know, knocking down the, the castle gates to try and get at your safe, sacred human resources space. But when they when you need to travel out there and tell somebody, hey, stop bullying other people, then then they can be individuals. Which really betrays kind of the the, the cop mindset that you're you're seeing here. Uh, there are a lot more layers that we could peel apart from just this one email, but I, I do also want to get into another of these uh, with the headline, Stop the Number One Time Waster, How to Lead Productive, Engaging Meetings that Deliver Results in All Capital Letters. And it starts with this extremely citations needed statement. People don't hate meetings. They hate bad meetings. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Trust me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> There's a long list of reasons why so many meetings are bad. There's no agenda and the meeting goes in circles. The wrong people are invited and everyone's multitasking. Unclear actions items or decisions. And the list goes on and on. Hold on. Did you just say actions items? Is this the I same sure person who wrote what millennials wants? It's like, possible. What is their problem with pluralizing everything incorrectly? So how are we going to solve bad meetings? How are we going to make meetings good? Well, so we need to talk about what, what attendees will learn here. They will learn how to resolve or manage common problems, inspire creativity, and check this out, transfer ownership to their meeting participants while managing interpersonal conflicts and other disruptions that arise. This will result in less time wasted, greater participation and engagement, more collaborative decision-making, and measurably improved outcomes. The, the whole transfer ownership bit is basically we're going to make, you know how you get employees to be more engaged during the meeting, make them do stuff. We're going to do breakout groups? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no. Icebreaker, icebreaker question after icebreaker question, just getting fired at you machine gun style. We're going to do report backs. We're going to do, we're going to give you five minutes of individual reflection. And then we want you to do a Mentimeter. Uh, there's going to be surveys. Like it, ownership is, it covers a multitude of sins here. Because it, it's no, basically. I, mm-hmm. You're leading this seminar, aren't you? That That's what you're spoiling up to. Uh, I wish if I were leading seminars like this, I would probably be making a lot more money than I currently am. But as always with HR, as we know from our first segment, the real money here is in the details. So we should get to the specific bullet points of this seminar because I think that's where the that's where the gold is. Yeah, specifically areas to be covered include Identify the top meeting management problems that get you off track. Recognize the three stages of meeting management. Preparation, leadership, conclusion. Know the five key questions to ask before calling a meeting so that it's not a waste of time. Is it, what is it? Is it thoughtful? Is it helpful? Is it, what's the the think protocol? (laughs) You're probably more familiar with the Think Protocol than us owing to your job, Noah. I wish. I think one of the five key questions might be, could this be an email? (laughs) Review three techniques to keep the discussion going and also keep everyone on track. We already did that. It's everything we talked about, the breakout groups, the surveys. Encourage engagement that gets everyone focused, participating, and problem solving. No, not going to be a thing. 
learn five tips to make your hybrid virtual meetings engaging, productive, and remote friendly. And lastly, uh, Lou, do you want to take this one? Because I know this one really, you, you were very passionate about this particular bullet point. Manage eight problem behaviors. So tag yourself, folks. The latecomer, the talker, the silent one, the busybody, the wanderer, the arguer, the heckler, and the griper. The professor and Marianne, too. <laughs> I am definitely the heckler. 100%. Okay. Ryan? I think I'm the silent one. If I can get away with just not, not saying anything, not contributing anything, I'm going to try. I think I'm the griper, possibly the uh, the busybody, depending on what exactly each of these mean. And I'm I'm kind of mad that they weren't able to find a way to make all of them end in er. Yeah, yeah. Th yeah. This is rejected Batman villains. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was I I was gonna go for Santa's reindeer, but you know. The latecomer, the talker, the silent one, the busybody, wanderer, arger, heck, heckler, griper, they all walk into a room. And that's just the first guy. hey -o! <laughs> Nailed it. It's pretty great. Well, so, you'll learn how to deal with all these people. And hopefully it's just more than not just one person. Here's, here's what I want to know. This is what's important to me. Uh, if if you, you should donate to Wayo. But if you've donated to Wayo and you still have money burning a hole in your pocket and you could pay for one of us to attend this seminar, that would be amazing. Because here's what I want to know. Is there a role play exercise as part of this seminar where you play one of these eight behaviors? Because that would be incredible. You draw it out of a hat? Yeah, which one exactly. today? A virtual hat. You actually, there's like a virtual dartboard and it just like assigns you. In your, in your breakout room or whatever. Somebody shouting out these roles at an improv night. Oh, God. <laughs> the worst scenes from a hat to have ever happened. I, I love this idea. So you're the latecomer, and also for some reason you're John Wayne. Yes, and? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> really, I hate really, that. how much... How much of HR is really how much of not not human resources like the day to day, but kind of like the culture of it is basically like let's let's take the the theater kid aspect, let's take the 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 improv comedy aspect, and let's just bring that out. You know, let's do the team building uh, out of uh, all the things that you hated doing at uh, <laughs> during art class or whatever is just you. Well, they went to HR camp, so they can give us all the camp experience. Exactly, yeah. That that does bring a whole new meaning to the term counselor and training. I think that might be all we can say about this topic, and we should cut this segment here and come back with a couple more items before ending our 200th episode. What, what? You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Comply. And Lou. Hey, guys. We've been discussing uh, Noah's treasure trove of HR emails. And in this last segment, you say, I want to... You say treasure trove. I'd say garbage bag. Potato, potato. There's one last email that I think we should really dive into with the time we have available. And it has this headline how managers and HR can use chat GPT to save time and money. You know, some good ideas are happening here. This, this is the least surprising application of chat GPT I've ever seen. Even more than, you know, the guys trying to like invent AI girlfriends or whatever. 
that that one you could see happening a mile away but the the use of it as a management tool that was almost baked in from the beginning even the failures of ai are completely consonant with it being used in a management role uh once again we see the psychology of being put upon in the writing here um Almost every manager, parentheses, and HR2 is heading towards burnout, parentheses, again, while also being understaffed with a mile-long to-do list. If only we could get updated workplace policies in place, job descriptions slash job ads improved, onboarding checklists created, then maybe we could dive into better employee training feedback practices. So my team and I are on the same page. They know exactly what is expected of them. They're aware of when things are going well and not. And I can focus on productivity and engagement rather than being buried in creating structure that should have been created a long time ago. A sentence to rival, you know, the greats of literature. Yes. Ironically, this entire paragraph reads like it was written by ChatGPT, which it very well may have been. The use of the first person here, curious, but um, yeah, we can only examine so much psychology here. Also, I, I can't lie. Again, the idea that managers and HR people are all heading towards burnout again while being understaffed with, a mile, with mile-long to-do lists – you cannot see with I, I can't imagine a microscope that could see the size of the violin I want to play for these people. As you pointed out, Ryan, you know, part of this is that with unemployment to three percent, these people have to actually occasionally treat their employees like human beings because if they do quit or leave, then they have a real problem trying to replace that labor. And they are suffering. They are capital GTI going through it. Because for the first time, probably in their working lives, they are not allowed to simply uh, abuse workers left and right, however they want, forever. Yeah, so there's like two things going on here. One, I was under the impression that we had all kind of started coming to the conclusion that using AI is stupid when you're doing your work. You're going to spend just as much time revising and double checking the compliance of your chat, chat GPT work compared to just doing the work yourself. You're, you're, you're wasting your time and giving, you know, needless uh, extra data mining points to uh, this AI aggregator. That That's what you're doing. Second, I, you get the sense in that first sentence, the and HR too, that HR people are deeply resentful that they don't have the same like respect and like fear behind them that managers do. They're resentful of that. They're like, we're bullies too, guys. Come on. Like they, they wish that they could employ the same fear tactics that managers do. I think even if you grant that all of these problems are indeed piling up at managers and HR 2s feet, the notion that chat GPT is going to help with this seems very spurious. I'm not sure what they expect chat GPT to do about all of this, but some areas covered in this webinar include uh, use of prompts and fine tuning development of sample policies for specific industries, companies, and locations using chat GPT to help analyze policies resumes and other communications oh that's not good that that's yeah. that that's what really stood out to me in bright glowing letters uh analyzing resumes through a ai because given what we know about ai that it tends to replicate the biases of those who program it you're just going to speed run a checklist of violations which all of these other webinars ostensibly want to avoid. Yes. There's this, it's weird because on the one hand, people want to be able, you know, to copyright the art that is produced from their prompts into like uh, stable diffusion or whatever. But then on the other hand, you have companies trying to use AI as essentially a, resp- uh, a get out of responsibility free card. 
like, oh, whoops, we didn't do that. It was AI. Nobody actually wrote that policy. So it's not our fault that it resulted in you not getting paid or it resulted in us taking every resume by a black candidate and throwing it in the garbage or whatever, right? And specifically, the fact that they're using AI as analysis and detection software really sticks in my crawl because what are we at? Minute, what? 56-ish. 56-ish. Because I'm a teacher. Ooh. Nice. And the 200 wouldn't be complete without us. Yes, exactly. And it's really important. This is the thing. Every time I have seen a single use of AI be universally decried by everyone, it has been a teacher trying to use, or an educator, because sometimes it's, it's college, but using AI in a stupid way to make their lives easier. It's it's somebody using AI detectors that don't work to try and figure out which essays were copied off of other essays or to try and figure out which essays were written by AI or whatever. It it's it's a multitude of things. But the every other kind of person, every other job, every other industry, every other title gets to try and find a way to make their lives easier with AI or to make jokes with AI or to do whatever with AI. It is only in education that the moment somebody does something kind of dumb with it, everybody, including correctly other educators, gets on that person's back. And I'm not really angry about that so much as the fact that that is the standard we should be applying to everyone else. And we don't. You know, when when a baseball writer shares like, what would MOB teams look like if their names, if, if they were their actual names, that that's something that we all kind of go like, oh, this is hilarious. You know, this is funny kind of thing. When it's people feeding tons of data into these generation engines and then using them in ways that help them learn and, and correct mistakes in, in the coding or programming. And then we find out that it's actually, you know, a bunch of underpaid African coders doing all of that, that we turn it into a, a, a humorous story. And when it's HR people trying to do this, there's a freaking webinar you can take. You're paying somebody to tell you to go use a tool to do something. Like, you could just go do this yourself. You don't have to have somebody teach you how to do this. You can just go put stuff into ChatGPT anytime you freaking want. You know how I know that? Because one of our administrators had a great idea. They sent a letter to our parent community talking about the use of AI in school and how they were going to deal with it. And their move, their cool move, was that they had ChatGPT write the same letter and put it on the back of their own. So you could see what a human letter looks like and what an AI written one looks like. And the AI one, and this is why I know why HR people think this will work, the AI one had no life to it, no soul, clearly machine-written. But it sounded like the kind of thing you'd get from somebody who was only interested in writing a policy. It read exactly like what you would get from somebody who didn't care about students, didn't care about teachers, but was interested in having a code of some kind. And because this is what HR people ultimately think their job is, and they hate it, and they should hate it because it's a terrible job, they are trying to find a way to get out of having to do the part of their job that sucks. I wish I could respect it, but I work in a in an industry that's defined by how hard I work. So before we finalize this episode, I do want to take one more opportunity to remind our listeners that the Wayo 2023 fundraiser is ongoing for um, by the time this episode airs, it'll be another week and a half or so. You can go to donate.wayofm.org and help contribute to the station that has done so much for us and by extension for you. Um, For this week, I'm Ryan. I'm Lou. I was Noah. And this is Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. 
Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.